So we're continuing this series entitled Realia, in which we look at common, everyday things that help illustrate the gospel, such as eating and drinking. We come to today's passage in Luke 6. These five verses may raise some questions. For example, three times the word Sabbath is mentioned. And that's not a common word in our vocabulary, is it? So let's turn to the well-known Ten Commandments for clarity. This is taken from Exodus chapter 20, and it's the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. By the way, in your chairs is a little sermon outline if you want to follow along and you can fill in the blanks. Um, I'm not going to cue you, but you should be able to tell from where I'm at in the message what the appropriate word to fill in the blank is. In our passage from Luke, Jesus was being challenged about the behavior of his disciples by the authorities in the second verse. And the remainder of the passage is his defense, which is in direct reference to an incident that occurred in the days of King David, whom the Pharisees happened to revere. I'll read that passage too. It's found in 1 Samuel 21. Then David came to Nob to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech came to meet David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, the king has charged me and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I've charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is the holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women, and David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us, as always, when I go on expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, for there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. When confronted by the Jewish leaders, Jesus uses this story of David going to the priest and requesting five loaves of bread for him and his men using what I call parallel logic to explain what keeping the Sabbath meant. When the priest said the holy bread was unlawful for common use, David argued that the bread in effect was common. The essence of his argument was this, bread is bread. When it comes to its intended purpose, it's to be food for hungry men, and he and his men fit the bill. In response, 
the priest gave David the bread. So let's turn back to our story in Luke. The idea of eating raw grain probably doesn't appeal to any of us here, right? And yet, that's what the disciples were doing. And they were accused of breaking the Sabbath by picking grain and husking it. Let's look at why the Jews were so angry and why Jesus defended the disciples' actions. In the process, I'd like us to consider three questions. These are the three points of my sermon, if you will. First of all, what is the Sabbath? Second, why is the Sabbath important? And third, how does the Sabbath relate to Jesus? So our first question, what is the Sabbath? Sabbath literally means to stop. This is your first freebie. You can fill in the blank, okay? It comes from the opening story of creation in Genesis when after creating for six days, God rested on the seventh day. Now here's a big question for you. Have you ever wondered why the all-powerful creator God of the universe found it necessary to take a day off for rest? He didn't. He stopped because his work was finished. When he later commanded man to stop working, he was allowing them this rest. It was a gift. Otherwise, and you know yourselves as well as I know myself, man would continue to work every day of the week and wear himself out. We are limited. God is not. We're not machines, but creatures made in his image, made for himself. The Sabbath gives us a specific day to stop and worship God and thank him for what he's done for us. When we remember that we are not God, but he is, we focus, refocus, and reorient our lives. However, in our usual hectic work weeks, we forget this, don't we? By having one day specifically set aside, it causes us to remember where we came from and to whom we belong. Now when you look at it this way, <clears throat> it should change the way we look at the Sabbath. Work is God-given, and it's a wonderful thing. But there's a time to work and a time to rest. Work was expressly forbidden on the Sabbath. Not only could you not harvest on the Sabbath, but you couldn't cook food either. For that, you had to prepare the Sabbath meal ahead of time. And Orthodox Jews still prepare their meal a day ahead of time to this day because of that. That's why the Jews here interpreted grabbing a few handfuls of grain and peeling it away as constituting work. So that brings me to my second point. Why is the Sabbath important? For me as a kid, you may, be, you may have been like me. I hated Sundays. Why is that? Because there was nothing to do. Most of the stores were closed and there was no place to go. And frankly, as a kid, there weren't even any good cartoons on TV on Sunday, right? But when I became a believer, all that changed. Sunday 
changed from being the most boring day of the week to being my favorite day of the week because I got to get to go to church, worship God, and celebrate fellowship with other believers. How about you? What does the Lord's Day mean to you? Too often, we treat Sunday just like any other day of the week, don't we? Other than going to church or not having to go to the office, it's not much different in our routines. Let me share a personal story. In 2006, our family embarked, and you're going to have to forgive me. I'm using the pronoun I, but it really was we because my whole family was involved. What? Am I hitting something? My collar. Okay, sorry. We embarked on a course that actually consumed us for the next eight years. We bought 10 acres of land, and we hoped to turn it into a farm. We developed this plan to raise sheep, chickens, a few pigs, and my personal favorite, a Jersey dairy cow named Tilly. Now, I think you've already heard about my cow from Spencer in a previous message. We also had a large garden, and that was its own story. Since we weren't independently wealthy, I had to work a full-time job in order to make the uh, ends meet for my family. But every morning before work, I'd rise early to milk the cow and attend to the few daily chores. And then when Saturday came, I worked like a dog, trying to catch up and do everything to make our farm work. Most farmers need six days to make their farms work, but I thought I could be a superman and do it all in one day. I couldn't afford a real tractor, so I had to mow two and a half acres of grass with a push mower. And then, you know, you do realize that this part of the country is a jungle. Grass, weeds, and thorns grow faster here than in Africa. Right, Jason? Yeah. Also, I had to muck out the barn because as good of a cow as she was, Tilly was not potty trained. I had to move and maintain fencing. We had to butcher chickens. Every minute of my Saturdays were taken up with the farm. And on Saturday nights, I was so exhausted, I could barely crawl into bed. So I welcomed the Sabbath rest of Sundays. We attended church. We had a big family dinner together. And sometimes I even got to take a nap. Even if you've never farmed, you know what it's like to work hard, to have a hard job outside of the house, and to work hard around the house as well, right? You know what it is to need rest. But even though I rested on Sundays, that didn't mean that I focused my attention exclusively on gratitude toward God. So what is it about human nature? that makes us live such driven and unbalanced lives? Well, one of the problems we have is that we're always trying to scheme and find ways to do more and to have more in less time. We all have a problem with time. We carry this into our life with God. We put him into a compartment and try to manage him to make him fit into our lives. 
we look for rules and formulas to try to uh, make life easier to understand. And we think, if I can just figure out what God expects, I'll do it, and then he'll have to bless me or love me more and make things go right for me, finally. Remember last week, Jeremiah reminded us that there is nothing that we can do that will make God love us more or love us less than he already does. Oftentimes, in the process of our driven lifestyle, we lose the true meaning of the Christian life. We divorce ourselves from the relationship that God wants with us, and we try to reduce him to this set of rules. Rules for us to follow, and rules that we think we can hold him responsible to. Rules are our way of bargaining with God. If I do this, then you must do that, Lord. It's ironic. We actually think that we can keep our side of the bargain and then make God obligated to us. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? This is exactly, though, what the Jews were thinking. They thought that by following all of the Ten Commandments, they could twist God's arm into accepting them and overlooking their sins. They believed that the greatest proof of this was in keeping the Sabbath. That was the easy one for them. As a result, though, the rabbis codified Sabbath observance into an entire series of do's and don'ts. You could walk on the Sabbath, but only a Sabbath day's journey. You could loosen a donkey or an ox from its stall and feed them, but you couldn't make them work. If your ox fell into a ditch, you could rescue him, and that was okay. You weren't breaking the Sabbath, but any other type of work was strictly forbidden. And that's why the Jewish leaders resented Jesus for coming along and doing work on the Sabbath. And that included healing the sick. You see, the Jewish leaders saw healing as a form of work. Their problem was that they were using themselves as the measuring stick to determine what actually following the rules meant. And they got it wrong. They got it wrong. In the process, they missed knowing who God really is. But here's the rub for us. We do the same thing. Our natural tendency is to excuse our own behavior when judging others. We think we're better than other people, and we minimize our own sins and shortcomings compared to theirs. Do you ever justify your own behavior by rationalizing well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. Or at least I don't do such-and-such. Such. I know I do. I have. When Jesus came to them, he turned their expectations upside down and showed them that obedience was a matter of the heart and not just the behavior itself. Sabbath-keeping was not meant to be merely a law that strips away all fun. Instead, it was meant for our benefit. The parallel passage in Mark 2.28 says this, not only that Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath, but he, Mark adds, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. 
So we've talked about what is the Sabbath and why is it important. Now let's talk about my third point, which is, so what does this have to do with Jesus? And what did he show that makes our keeping the fourth commandment different from the legalism of the Jews? Did Jesus come along and throw out the Sabbath? Or was Sabbath observance still important? Yes, it is still important. Yes, God commanded Sabbath observance. But Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. The commandments show us who God is. He is holy. Sabbath is a gift for our aligning ourselves to the truth, that truth, week after week, year after year. In Christ, we can now appreciate Sabbath as a gift. But why is it a gift? Well, I can think of several reasons. First of all, it was God's desire, not because he opposed work, but because he wanted his people to be different than the other nations around him who only worked for themselves. How so? He wants us to put our trust in him, and I'm going to say a word here that has negative connotations, in him for our prosperity. This isn't the prosperity gospel, but everything we have comes from him. Instead of just relying on our own hard work, like the non-believing nations around Israel did. Third, it's important that we take one day a week to remember and worship God, to willingly turn our hearts fully towards him. And fourth, another reason, he wants us to live in fellowship with him and to be blessed by him instead of trusting in our own righteousness. Six days, we struggle to remember him. We work like dogs, we struggle. And then we work even harder because we're relying on ourselves instead of him. This trust in God has always been a problem for man. Remember in the Exodus story where God provided manna for the Israelites to feed them daily? He set a commandment that they were to gather only as much manna or food each day as they needed, except for the day before the Sabbath, when they were to gather two days' worth. But some of the Israelites didn't trust that the manna would be there on the tomorrow. So they gathered and hoarded more than they needed, and God was angry at them at their lack of trust. In fact, he turned their excess manna into a stinking pile of slime. Kind of gross. Or there's the case of the man, this is kind of my personal favorite, the man in Numbers 15 who thought he'd get a jump start on his competition by going and gathering firewood on the Sabbath. And God was so furious over this that he ordered the Israelites to stone the man to death. Why? Because this man rejected, first of all, the gift of the Sabbath, in order to carry on as if it were just another day. But also, he took advantage of his Sabbath-observing neighbors by trying to get that jump start on them. 
We may not experience such severe consequences, but don't we also fail to trust in God for our own provisions? Don't we try to get ahead and cram more work into providing for ourselves? Do you see where the heart of the offender was the key here? God didn't create a people for himself, only to have them live selfishly and disobey him. So when we come to Sabbath, and it's the subject of the Sabbath, what are you? Are you a rule maker or a rule breaker? Rule makers often look to their own righteousness and in pride think that they're better than others. This is how the Pharisees looked at themselves. And remember the parable Jesus told in Luke 18 about the Pharisee and the tax collector? They both came to the altar to pray. And the Pharisee prayed, thanking God that he wasn't like other men, that he fasted twice a week, and he gave a tithe out of all he possessed. But the tax collector simply prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus made it clear that the Pharisee wasn't justified by his works, but the tax collector was saved by his repentance. Just like that Pharisee, we use an internal yardstick of our own behavior to judge whether we're making the grade. Or instead of placing our faith in God and in the work of Christ. In Matthew's version of our passage, Jesus told the Pharisees, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, then you would not have condemned the guiltless. In other words, condemned the disciples for picking grain. We're to love one another rather than to condemn them when they don't live up to a set of standards made by us instead of by the Bible. On the other hand, are you a rule breaker? Are you the person who says, hey, it's all about faith anyway, and what we do doesn't matter? Have you ever heard or even said something like this? The Bible is no longer about law. Or how about this one? I don't read the Old Testament anymore because as Christians, we don't live under the law, but under grace. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Which incidentally, whenever in the Bible you see law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Two verses later, he says this. Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom. What the Jews failed to see, and frankly so do we sometimes, is that Jesus, as God, was the Lord of the Sabbath. You could even say that just as Jesus is the true temple of God, he's also the true Sabbath. 
he invites us to rest in him. He said to his followers in Matthew 11, the following, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, true rest is found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. We work, we toil, we strive for money, for things, for positions, for status, success, for peace, comfort, but it's only in Jesus that we can be satisfied. We'll work and struggle restlessly until we come to Jesus and realize that our real needs and desires are only fulfilled in him. We were never intended to be slaves to keeping the Sabbath and thereby able to judge ourselves as being more righteous than other people who don't keep it. Whether we're legalistic and think we can earn God's acceptance or whether we fail to observe any distinction at all between the Sabbath and any other day, we can still fail to give Jesus his rightful place as Lord. Lord over the Sabbath and Lord over our lives. I'm not saying that we're to worship God one day per week and live the rest of our time acting like he isn't there. Of course we're to worship God every minute that we're breathing. In fact, Paul said in Colossians 3.17, in whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. Now there's one last thing I want to say, and I don't think I'm going too long, but God's dealings with the Jewish people were to be a testimony to the unbelieving nations around them. That God had a plan for mankind, and he would bless those who turned to him. What does your relationship with God say about you? Would a stranger looking at you see anything different or attractive that would make them stop and consider Jesus Christ as the answer to their own life problems? Would they see you as someone who goes to church on Sunday trying to look holy, but who lives the other six days of the week living just like they do? I have to continually remind myself of these same things. However you observe the Sabbath, don't be a stumbling block to other people. But again, don't fall into the trap of thinking that if you only live in a manner that appears righteous, then you're okay. That's what the Pharisees did, and Jesus opposed them for it. Instead, we must submit to the Holy Spirit and allow him to change our lives and make us more like Christ in how we think, believe and behave. This is a process that takes a lifetime. We're still sinners and we have to fight against personal sin every day until we die. But our justification comes by placing our faith in Christ alone and not in our own works. This is what true rest means. 
This is what Sabbath really means. Jesus, the one who is our Sabbath rest, has already done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He gives us himself. Our obedience to Christ comes from our gratitude to him, not in working harder to earn our own salvation. So what should Sabbath observance look like? Does it mean not going out to eat as a family or with friends? Or staying at home and quietly reading the Bible all day? I'm not going to give you rules for that. You may have to decide for yourself what keeping Sabbath means for you and your family. But of all the Ten Commandments, this is the one that we give the least thought to. Observing the Sabbath may look different for you than it does for others or for me, but you should remember, you use it to remember God and his blessings to you and show your gratitude. Whatever way you choose, let me say this. This would be my final oomph, okay? Sabbath is not something you have to do. It's what you get to do because of God's goodness. Now, if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but God's word makes you interested in knowing him personally, then let me encourage you to see me and talk to me or another believer here after the service and learn how you too can become a follower of Christ. I promise you, you won't be sorry. You'll find what true rest is. And all the guilt and striving to be good enough won't be there anymore. Only by placing your trust in Christ will you be right with God. One of the ways that we acknowledge Christ's work for us is by joining in a meal together called the Lord's Table. We celebrate Jesus' body and blood and his substitutionary sacrifice for us that Maddie alluded to in our singing earlier. Jesus died for our sins. He died for us. If you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to share in this meal with us. What The way we do it here at Redstone is that we have four stations, two in the back, two that are in the front, and when you're ready, come forward. I'll be serving on one side, Jeremiah on the other. But let me read these words that the Apostle Paul said that explains to us what communion really means. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this, this bread is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, 